0: My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars, discussions, interviews, sales quick tips, everything to sharpen the saw and make you a better salesperson. it's another episode of SalesFix podcast warriors welcome producer steve in the house as usual nice to have you and Hello. our uh, our guest today is a, uh, a a previous cohort colleague of mine and actually an existing colleague because we're working on some projects together right now as well uh from the sunny state of arizona mr brian grobstein brian nice to have you on the podcast i'm looking forward to this one so
1: thanks for having me julian
0: Yep. Um, no, it's it's good to, it's good to have you, and I, we've got a good topic to talk about today, which is in your area specialty too. So this should be entertaining. Um, but while you know, usually I don't set high expectations on the front end of anything that I do. but I'll make an exception in this case. So, um, hey Brian, there's three standard questions I kind of ask everybody um, when they come on the podcast, right? And it's it's how did you get into sales? What was your journey to get into any kind of sales responsibility? Um, what is it that you love about sales? Because you've obviously stayed involved in that world, right? So it wasn't just a oh I did it for a year and then I you know went on to HR or marketing or whatever. And then the third one is you know what's the number one thing that you see salespeople uh, or sales professionals doing wrong, which will probably relate to the topic that we're gonna uh, talk about today. But but let's kick off with a little background, give give the uh, listeners some perspective. How did you get into sales? How did you get into this weird profession where we call on people and get rejected all the time?
1: yeah that's uh i probably have a little bit more of a an interesting um, and unique background than some of your other guests so i was um in the hospitality industry for many years doing concept development and general management before i decided ah, i don't want to do the whole like you know weekends late nights early mornings you know the lifestyle anymore and decided mm-hmm. to go back to school so i moved uh you know two suitcases and and nothing else to my name uh moved to chicago to go to grad school and um i got my degree both my parents were english teachers uh, growing up so i decided that i was going to go and be an academic and i got my master's degree in writing rhetoric and discourse with an emphasis on professional and technical communication i can barely say it in one breath and <laughs> well, everyone any, gets a any like
0: degree <laughs> has to be not sayable in one breath yeah exactly yeah. That, that degree, and it, it, you're it, sexy.
1: It gets a chuckle whenever I tell anybody uh, what my my master's degree is in. And while I was in the first quarter of my program um, at DePaul University, I was given the opportunity at the time um, to go and do some business acumen, soft skills training, some communications training for a then early stage startup, right? Groupon. Um, Pre-IPO. I didn't know what Groupon was at the time and went and interviewed. Um, I think one of your past guests, uh, Darren Schwartz, when he interviewed me, I was sitting in a chair and he walked into the room. He goes, you're sitting in my chair. Get up. And I like my eyes widened and I got scared. And he's like, I'm just kidding, man. Loosen up a little bit. And I was like, oh, OK, okay it's be one of those interviews. Right. So um, I spent a majority of my my first you know, six months to a year working pretty diligently on content development for our outbound communications um predominantly uh focused on email communication um we were hiring uh you know you guys remember this like we were hiring 25 to 40 people every two weeks at our peak you know this was upwards of 100 people a month uh and a large cohort of them were coming from those big 10 schools that surround the midwest uh, fresh college graduates, not with a lot of sales acumen or sales experience. So we wanted to create more of a package that they could leverage on how they were gonna orchestrate their outbound calls. But um, uh, my, my role and responsibility, at least in the beginning, was their outbound emailing, right? Because uh-huh. their funnels were huge uh, in terms of their prospects. Uh, it was, at the time, a degree of transactional sales where it was like high volume activity. Um, and less of a consultation. So we were trying to ensure that we controlled the voice a little bit, the, the brand, and that was kind of the platform by which I started my sales career. Um, uh, since then, I've managed sales teams. I've been a sales regional sales director, um, and most recently, I've spent m- a majority of the last five years running sales operations, revenue operations, and enablement.
0: So it's weird. I mean, I can't imagine why this job is necessary. These are all people who speak English and graduated college that are coming into a company. What possible help could they need framing their messaging? I mean, people know how to communicate in a clear and concise and understandable <laughs> manner. I mean, why why is this job necessary, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that because it's it's like a very defensive position that a learner has when they go into a room and they're being reconditioned. And that's very – um, deliberate to use the word conditioned, reconditioned to write in a manner that they uh, that is foreign, and it's foreign because we spend you know 16 years you know in school being taught how to write, uh, and write in a way that doesn't really correlate very strongly with how uh, we communicate in the real world, uh, or particularly important for sales, how a decision maker that receives 120 to 150 emails on any given day, um, is going to receive your, your email. Yeah.
2: Yeah. As a former English teacher, I used to say, we were doing a tremendous job of preparing our kids for the sword fight at the okay corral. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Showing up to a, yeah. a gunfight with a sword. <laughs> definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. You know, I mean, you, you think, again, it's common language. You think everybody, would have this down but the the there's just a standard framework of communication and then and I remember just with some humor when you and I were first starting to work together um cuz we started around the same time and at some point I was like well will show me some of the stuff you're working on I'm just curious and you showed me some of the writings and what little hair I had left at the time disappeared when I saw what people were actually putting in outbound emails. Right? It was just terrifying what was what was getting sent out there. So um, it was good foresight whoever came up with the idea of that position and and actually building it out, especially for a company that's growing as fast as that one. Um, okay. So question two: You stayed in sales after an introduction into it over a period of time. Um, you you've trained several different sales teams over your time. You've led some sales teams, as you said. What is it about this, you know? Uh, I mean, it's possible that you couldn't find your way back into the restaurant industry, that they wouldn't let you back in or the hospitality industry, but I'm going to assume it was more of a deliberate choice. So what um, – you know, why, why do you like it? I mean, what is it about it that you enjoy that uh, is decide, you know, made you decide to make a profession in it?
1: Yeah, I, I think the foundation of that decision it was predicated on my experience at Groupon in the first few years uh, when I got the opportunity to work so closely with you – with Tim Wassman, with Kevin Petrie, and with Bill Bartlett, um, I became a shadow for you guys, um, just trying to sponge and absorb all of the sales methodology mm-hmm. that you had been able to uh, accumulate over the years. And what what really made the difference for me is that I was going through my master pr- master's program at the time, and you know, as I was taking in all of this pedantic academic you know, philosophy. And I'm like, there isn't really a whole lot of practical application in the real world for this. Mm -hmm. And then I got exposed to like Sandler and later on in life, Miller Hyman and selling through curiosity and challenger sale and all of these methodologies that have been, um, I want to say put their own little stamp on it in terms of branding, but fundamentally based in the psychology of, communication, of decision-making, right? And I'm an academic at heart. I I absolutely adore the fact that there is an art to sales, but what is often missed, what is often the challenge that people have a difficult time overcoming is that it is extremely scientific. And that's where it really reeled me in. Mm, Yeah,
0: I couldn't agree more. I think people think it's purely an art form and don't see any science in it. And all these systems that you described, Sandler, Milo, Heimann, you Hyman, know, Challenge, all that stuff, the, the reason they all work is because they're not one person's opinion. They're rooted with some really solid psychology or actually – I think psychology is a bit off. I actually think it's like human behavioral science is what I call it. It's not mm-hmm. purely psychology. It's kind of our behavior, and uh, but it's rooted so deeply in that science that it's it's why it makes sense. Okay, so – um, and obviously there's a bit of a softball question for you because, you know, we, we, you came on to talk about a topic specifically, but, and it could not be this maybe, but what's the, what's the number one mistake that you see? I mean, what's the thing that you've seen in your time in leading salespeople that you're like, again, we're running into this again. Like, why does this keep happening? Why right? Where, what's the knee jerk that people are in your opinion, consistently defaulting to that's hurting them?
1: You know, we, we're 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 talking today about a particular aspect of this, um, which is kind of like the outbound prospecting via email. But it goes back to the answer to the second question, which is that it, the miss is that it is science. The miss is that there is not only a foundational behavioral science, social science, psychology around it, yep. But there's also a, a miss in terms of um, the leveraging of business intelligence and saying that statistically speaking, you should have done this versus this, right? There's that gut instinct that you have to have, there's the work ethic that you need to leverage, but ultimately it's that there's there, this is this is proven, it's tried, true, and tested, yep. and you should put your own spin on it. You need to, right? Like you need to find the way to um, adapt the concept to your own style. But the reality is that the concepts are irreplaceable, mm. right? And you don't have a secret sauce.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the uh, spaces where I've seen that, and I know you've experienced it as well, because like me, you've had quite a bit of experience going out in the field and writing with, you know, uh, outside reps, right? Non-telesales reps, but outside reps. And 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 typically in those interactions, it's like they do a couple calls, and then on the third or fourth one, they have, they have you take the lead to kind of see what you're right. They like play all right, coming out here to train and manage me. Go ahead, take a shot at this. And I've all, I know you because we've talked about it. We've registered the surprise on their faces when they go, whoa, oh, hang on. You did what you actually trained us to do in training. It's like <laughs> yeah, we we it's not it, we don't get paid like ten cents every time you say it the way we do. Like the reason we. We do this is because we know the odds are on our side, right? And this is, this is again, that's a great highlight. Like the, 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 not seeing the science and understanding, there is no right play to call in football in any particular thing. But there's certain mathematical odds that you know if the defense does this and you do this, it's not a foolproof. The guy could still drop the ball. Ten things can go wrong, but you, the odds are on your side, right? You're playing. You're playing the odds and people misread the casino odds all the time because they see things happen and they don't tie. You know, one of my big pet peeves is the correlation equals causation myth that that springs up. And I always point to the casinos. They have that table by the they have that little sign by the roulette tables that shows you the last like 20 roulette rolls. Right. It's the history board. And the reason the casinos put that in is because people make stupid bets because of those things. They're like, oh, that roulette hit table hit black 18 times in a row. Hence, red is due. Well guess what on any one spin regardless of what the last roll did your odds are 50/50 that you're going to get black versus red they just are there's nothing that can change that right or it's the people that go oh well I've been playing the lottery for 15 years so I have a much better chance of winning than you do now if we both buy one ticket we both have the same odds zero essentially but we both have the same <laughs> odds that we're going to win right so um and and and, it, and that's i think you know part of what you're talking about is there's that misread that they think you know what when i when I make cold calls without my socks on I just I do way better and you're like no it's it's that's got nothing that's not rooted in science that's superstition right versus the math and the science of of uh, of looking at it so one thing too is sort of the the
2: concept of being pot committed another mistake people make
0: yep where
2: because I've been involved and especially now when it's people are it's a difficult time people are reaching out to people they through email different ways which is why we brought brian on, on on for this conversation but the thought that because i'm involved in this process that somehow changes what works in this process yep and we we've on uh, hopefully that makes some sense on previous shows we've talked about you know the person that's suddenly angry or you know they they just keep they they keep they make mistakes and then compound mistakes yeah and they may have started off well but the problem is that they're involved and they can't see past their involvement to yeah getting back to what works because maybe they've never been trained
0: i i i once over the course of about three years worked for two different firms that were competing with each other and the very interesting thing about that is that the first six months that i spent with firm a i'll call them right company a we would lose accounts to the other to firm b and i would look we would look in our system and be like man now they signed up with that guy like why did they sign up with b and we would just feel like they're so much better on it than we are right? Because they've won this account. We're clearly doing some things wrong. And then I left that company. And about a year and a half later, I got a consulting gig with essentially their, their competitor, Company B. And I'm inside Company B, and I'm in the CRM system. And I thought, I'm going to look up some of the accounts that I worked at with company a to kind of see what the perspective was from this end. And it was the same thing. The notes were like, man, company a really has their act together because they've landed this deal and we couldn't get it right. So from your seat and their seat and being able to step back and get that perspective and say, it doesn't matter how much you've put in the pot. If the flop was wrong, Back out, fold, walk away, go, 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 you know, go focus your efforts in a different direction. Um, those are all things that, again, that's tied to the math and the science versus the superstition, right? So, and there's yeah. a, go ahead, Brian.
1: I was just going to say, like, you've used a couple of different uh, metaphors as you've been talking. You talked about sports, you talked about casinos. Yeah. I mean, you can use anything and everything about, just wait you until know, he talks our, about dating. it's coming you
0: guys know it's coming (laughs) always
1: yeah but yeah dating too. dating you know how we how we buy how we shop right from a consumer's perspective how we interact online right going to kind of like the uh recent uh kind of um surfacing of the social dilemma and how we interact on social platforms is it's all science it's all intentional it's all deliberate it's no accident where things appear on your screen it's no accident where certain items appear in the grocery store they know what they're doing when i say they i do mean we too like we should know what we're doing when we make decisions about what we say when we say it how we say it and what the next step is right and being uh the the owner Right, and and taking some ownness over like what the strategy is, and that strategy is uh, pervasive, right? And again, like you know, not just the words that you use, it's not just about um, when you say them, it's about knowing what the response is going to be, so you have an intentional and deliberate follow up.
0: Yeah. And I think where that gets misread very often, Brian, by people that are not in sales is they look at that as some kind of, you know, you guys are doing to me what Facebook, what the social dilemma movie. And by the way, listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, you absolutely need to see it on Netflix. It it is terrifying. And at the same time, very, very informative, right? But it's, it's not necessarily about I'm, I'm in a sales situation for me. It's not about, I'm going to trick you into doing something is, I'm going to acknowledge where the icebergs are in the ocean of your decision making so that I can not navigate straight into them and bounce off of them, but so that I can actually go in between, which actually ends up, if you do it correctly, making the process smoother and more enjoyable and more efficient for both parties involved, not just the person making the calls, right? So I'm gonna get you past your own head trash, your own, you know, your own idiosyncrasies. I'm gonna get you past those so that we can have a very quick and efficient conversation of is there a fit? Or is there not fit and be able to move from there? And, and that's the miss in prospecting that, you know, that I see a lot.
1: So, um, and, you know, you brought up a, a, a funny example of like being out in the field with reps and, you know, uh, inspecting what we expect and kind of demonstrating what the methodology should and can and should look like. And what I actually find to be the most fascinating is the reaction about how little I do. Right. And what I mean by that is there is usually this over engineering of the concepts that we teach, where they're in their own head and they're trying to, they're working too hard on something that is at a fundamental level, like just very direct and straightforward. And it's those soft skills like asking the right questions, taking the time to listen and absorb, pause before you respond. And it's those simple nuances of how the typical adults in 2020 communicates and if you are pushing and pushing and pushing which is usually like the the observation that i make when i'm in the field or i'm listening to calls or i'm you know seeing an appointment is that like take a step back take a breath take a pause yeah ask a question yep you know
0: yep that's exactly right Steve, you were going to so say I, something.
2: Yeah, I was going to walk this. I mean, that was all great material, too. So it may have changed the direction of this question. But I was going to walk us back a little bit where you were talking about head trash and getting in that pre-step, which is, you know, we talk about seller be sold. The number one, the first sale you've got to make is your to yourself on the fact that you've got that this is a valid process. You've got a valid reason for calling and interrupting people, um, you know, because that's what it feels like. Uh-huh. But I think the sale, just because of the times, people are more self-sold than ever. And I think they're getting after it. And I think email is a way they're using to, they're using written language, text, email, and some other programs to get in front of potential customers, potential clients that they've never spoken with before. Brian, what, what would be... If somebody's coming to you just absolutely green, they've never used email, they've never reached out with anybody through texting before or through the use of text and language, what are like the number one and two, just you gotta do these or you're sunk?
1: Yeah, so um, a couple of things. One is don't reinvent the wheel. Inevitably, sales organizations have some institutional knowledge about what works and what's worked for other people and what's helped close deals win stories the narratives around how deals are closed have to be socialized within an organization and inevitably there was some written communication that transpired in the midst of the sales cycle that can be replicated right um but replicated in a sense that it is uh, adapted to each buyer persona each buyer's journey so don't reinvent the wheel don't think that you have this like you know, unique snowflake idea that you're going to write an email that has eight different colors. It has all caps. Um, it's written with, you know, right, justified and all these crazy things because you feel like you're going to catch the reader's attention. Like take, take a breath, take a step back and ask a question. And when I say ask a question, it's not just as it relates to your sales cycle. It has to do with kind of the internal socialization of best practices within your organization. So that's number one. Number two, it goes back to that kind of keep it simple, stupid. Is the short typically right i'll I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute but the the shorter your message right and the more you're able to pique interest and dangle the carrot in an email the more likely you're going to get a response people spill the candy in the lobby more so in an email than they ever would on the phone right julian and i have taught for years and years and years right don't use your elevator pitch to sell But people are less guilty of that than they are of don't use your emails to sell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because more often than not, it's they feel like it's their only way by which they're gonna get visibility into their value proposition is through an email. So they just show up and throw up everything that they can in that first email. And then they have absolutely nothing to bring to the table for any future step of the sales cycle.
0: Well, it's the classic mistake. I mean, it's in in a prospecting interaction, your your mission is to sell the meeting, to sell The conversation to to get them to say, I want to find out more. And the mistake that people make is, okay, they go to I want to get them to buy. Well, that's, you know, again, I mean, here it comes. Here's the dating analogy. That's walking up to a girl at a bar and going for marriage. Right. I mean if anyone accepts, they're probably not the one you want to marry anyway by definition in that situation, right? So that's scary to me that they're going for that and they do that. The same thing in email. (laughs) Email is just even – there's so much more room and there isn't the threat of being interrupted. So people just go, oh, I'll throw more. I'll throw more. I I mean I love to keep it simple, but I actually really love the socialization – what you just said, Brian, which I'm going to paraphrase back. The socialization of win stories within a sales organization is key. And I actually wrote that down because I'm going into next week now with, you know, a couple of clients where I'm going, you know what, I'm gonna make this a mission for sales management. Where are your win stories? Where are they recorded? Where are they kept? How are they shared, how are they passed along, you know, between the team, especially in this day and age where people who used to be, you know, eighty four of them used to be in the same room. Now they're all working from home and getting together on a you know, on mm-hmm. a Zoom or a go to meeting once or twice a week. So what's happened to that, you know, that natural sort of you know, the, the the more organic sharing of wind stories has probably now gone down. So you really need to 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 put something in there to systemize that and make sure that it's getting done. That's uh, great. Take- couldn't, agree,
1: couldn't agree more. Systemizing it is so important. And moreover, not only just socializing. But celebrating, right? The recognition that you can provide internally um, just by, you know, putting somebody on a pedestal and giving them the opportunity to share the what, the why, and the how of closing a deal. Uh-huh. Not just closing a deal too, like losing a deal, right? Like there's education there too. And I yeah. often say. Ed- Education is motivation and vice versa. Motivation is education. So the more you bring these things to the surface, the more motivating it is for people to make that incremental change to their behavior. And I'm not trying to make sweeping changes. I'm not trying to be like the autocratic manager that says you have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. I'm introducing you to Julian who just closed the deal and this is how he did it. Do you think you could do the same thing?
0: Yeah, third-party endorsement.
1: Yeah, and I've heard
2: with with keep it simple i heard something that resonated through my experience as a teacher as a journalist as a campaign manager anytime you're editing less is more that's super trite but a lot of people think they are editing when they make things longer or add more words Mm -hmm. when in reality it's more powerful to have fewer words of fewer of the right words getting right to the point and uh, it, it just it, i thought immediately of james elroy the the who wrote uh, la confidential and he turned in the the novel and it was 200 pages too long the editor said you've got to cut 200 pages rather than cutting just sections of the book he went through and he cut 200 pages worth of words uh. ending up with what they call telegraph style and sometimes three word sentences but if it's the right three words yeah then then Russell Crowe will be saying and Kim Basinger will be saying those words on screen.
0: Yep. Whereas yeah. So yep.
2: that's that's one point that that's so powerful and it was thrown out there. I just want to make sure everybody heard that.
0: Yeah. There's an exercise I did which actually was inspired by something that you and I were talking about once, Brian. Um back in twenty seventeen, I I, I uh, ran for a chamber of commerce. I ran an exercise where everybody came in and it, was a, it wasn't it was identifying your elevator pitch. It was it was building your value statement. What is the value statement to your company? And we did this exercise where I had people say, okay, just write out what your value statement is. Explain to me why anybody should care and should buy from you. And so everybody turned in their stuff and it was like two pages long, right? And the first cut, we were like, okay, you got to half it in size. It doesn't matter where you started. You got to half it in size, right? So everybody was kicking and screaming, blah blah bop, came back in. They were a lot shorter. They were a lot better. We were reading them around the room. Everybody's kind of enjoying them. And then uh, to mess with them, I said, go back and half it again before the next meeting, right? And some people looked at me like, you got to be crazy. Like there's no way we're going to be able to half it again. I just have to, now you want me to half it again. And so they came back and then one more time I said, go half it again. And you can even cut it further if you want to, but I want it down to something that you can say in one breath, right? My All my academic friends always tell me, your thesis will get rejected if you can say the title in one breath. You have to be able to have to pause in the middle of it, right? There's a, it, otherwise, it's going to get rejected. So, so I want I want you guys to be able to do it in one breath. One guy who won the contest, because we did a little contest around it, he got it down to four words. It's unbelievable. I can still tell you what they are. Affordable access to attorneys. That was his four words. And his whole business value and the, is all summed up in that. That's all he needs. He tells people that. He, what do you do? Affordable access to attorneys. And people go... What do you mean? How does that? People have questions as soon as he brings that up, right? And so that really, I think, good writing, a good introduction, makes the reader question. Not it, they don't. It doesn't make them analyze it That it makes them start to ask themselves. The best books I've ever read are the ones that get me to start asking questions. What do they mean by that? Is that true? Can that be possibly true? How would that work? And and it's that sort of re, you know reversing it, right? You're getting them to ask you questions by asking them questions, or by or by doing the writing. Lo, 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 love the thoughts on this. I think this is. Very useful, and I also think timely, because now more than ever, there's a lot of people who are used to doing this over the phone or in person that are being pushed to an online LinkedIn email as the primary form of contacting their prospects, and so they're in this world that they're inherently just not comfortable with, so um, so it, it's good stuff all right let's let's uh, let's move on. We have two that I want to cover. One was an email that was sent to the wrong person. Uh, So failure of step number one, properly identifying your prospect. This was sent to the wrong person at a company that I work at um, who sent it to me. I was also the wrong person. So it's not like – but he sent it to me because he, he was literally like, I just got one of the worst prospecting emails I've ever gotten. I think you'll enjoy this. And then the second one was a an attempt outreach that happened on, on LinkedIn from somebody to me. So, Steve, I know you've got the uh, the uh, let, let's let's hide the names to protect the guilty in oh, this yes. case. Uh, well, no,
2: that's, everybody yeah. that does this. They they work for the yuck yuck club. <laughs>
0: <Double> yuck <yucks. laughs> so, Joy giggles
2: in the yuck yuck club are striking again.
0: Yeah. So again, I want I want the listeners to understand. This was an email, so you can get a sense of how long this was because this was an email. So. And this
2: is the one started with bad bad prospecting. Uh,
0: yes, yeah. Bad prospecting was not the subject of the email. That's just what I put on the document in order (laughs) to label it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hi, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include you know I'll 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 narrate it rather than necessarily read it. Hi, blank. Hi, blank. I hope all is well. I'm reaching out because I recently looked into your company name and feel that there's an opportunity for us to work together here at uh, camp haha ha, we provide all companies with real-time voice video and streaming technology that can be put on your platform a few customers of ours are a company b company c you may have heard of here is some more information about camp haha ha and the value we can offer we have a global net uh, virtual network of maybe identifiable through the numbers. So I'm just gonna say yep. three figures. Data centers, data centers, distributed globally. Using a patented patented, using a patented dynamic routing engine, we're able to route media dynamically around bottlenecks and other degradations. Sounds like my bachelor life. <laughs> Delivering high quality of experience. This is especially important when looking to scale globally. Our mobile SDK is quite possibly the most efficient mobile video solution in the market. Two to four times better performance on mobile than offered by our competitors. And we have a list of highlights. We want to read those?
0: Yeah, I I think we want to read those. Yeah. Highlights and benefits. Two two bullet point lists. Go ahead. Good. Highlight.
2: Uh, Bullet point list one. Highlights. Uh, Blank. Powers over 500 million SDK installs globally today. We stream bullet point two. We stream over 10 billion minutes of voice video traffic monthly. Video point three: The Camp HaHa ha network works where other platforms cannot. Some of our bigger markets are India, Europe, South America, Middle East, etc. I've never heard of that
0: list. I no, they, I haven't. That's I heard one of their big hotels there. Stuff. Yeah.
2: That's why, dude. That's why you're doing this podcast. You'd be drinking boat drinks somewhere if you <laughs> had ever found. Uh, <laughs> benefits low latency one second or less global coverage three figure plus data centers around the world scalability 50k plus audience in single channel or stream affordability hope to hear from you soon and please check out our website with click through feel free to set up a 30 minute call on my calendly also click through warm regards
0: okay there is so much wrong with this. It is, uh, it it's just insane. So Brian, I'm, I think I'm, Brian I'm,
2: may have blacked out. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Hang on. Let's 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 whistle loudly and get his dog to come in the room and give him CPR by jumping up and down on his chest <laughs> to wake him out. Right. My, my first thought, and I'll hand it over to Brian. My first thought is, if you are a salesperson, right, and you are sending multiple hundreds of these to clients right by the way in this case just so the listener understands this this company that i'm working with that got this they're not global right so there's no need i mean all the data center stuff about globally stuff this is clearly somebody who didn't do their research even on the person nor the company so when they kicked out and said i'm reaching out because i've really looked into your company they they really didn't right because if they had they there's half of this stuff that wouldn't be relevant but if you're a salesperson you're sending out All of these. Just understand, your company can replace you with an email bot and not lose conversion. You are virtually worthless as a salesperson if this is what you're doing. Not because you're a bad human being, that's not what I mean, but because the the work effort that you're putting out could be done by a computer. It's missing all the human elements of it that actually necessitate the existence of a sales department. If this kind of crap, forgive my French, worked there would be no sales departments companies would just have larger marketing departments and send out more information faster right that so as a top line piece that's my biggest problem with it you know so brian let's let's just dissect this like section by section here and just point out some of the things that you know you saw as as being big problems here and we can we can tear them apart a little bit
1: yeah, I mean, first and foremost, this is blatantly a template, right? And it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to identify immediately that this is a uh, a, a this is copy that was plugged into some sort of sales engagement platform that will auto pull your business name and your name into the template and fire it off to whomever is in the system. So yep. that that first and foremost, it's like it the optics of this are very obvious. Right. The the second thing is, is like from a sales process perspective, um, it's been mentioned a couple of times during our conversation is like know your audience, understand your buyer persona, know who your ICP is and do the due diligence that's necessary for this to actually resonate. Because sometimes you've only got one shot. Right. Like first impressions matter. And this is the first impression. And if it is not in alignment with the way that you sell, if it's not in alignment with your, your brand, then you basically have just dwindled your, your total addressable market from what it could have been, which is, you know, maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of prospects to much, much smaller, because the person that received this email is probably also going to be working with other people that are potential prospects for your product. Right, whether it's their future job or their little professional network, whatever it might be. So yep. like you really need to make stronger considerations for what you're putting into a document that's going to be that once it's gone, it's gone. Right. It's like a text message that you send at two in the morning after having four drinks, right? Like you don't get that text message back. Yeah. Uh, no matter what's in it. So yep. be very careful what you put on paper. Yeah. So that's first and foremost. The second thing is the sheer length, right? The amount of time um I, I liked Uh, Steve added a little bit of flair to reading it out loud. Um, But even if you are like a speed reader and going in this hard and fast to try to distill whatever's in it that's relevant for me, you're still taking, I don't know, 90 seconds plus to really understand what what is the desired outcome of this communication, right? So the there are studies that have been done. There's studies that have been done about everything, but I, I think that it's it's worth calling out that there's technology out there that's been around for the better part of a decade that analyzes the outbound email. And it's, you know, the, the first use case was outbound marketing. The second use case is outbound sales. And in using these technologies, they've been able to, identify statistically what subject lines work and don't work what words in subject lines what the length of the subject line should be no different than the body of the email right everything from your salutation at the top of the email to your signature block at the bottom of the email everything going back to my comment about science and having the business intelligence and the data to support what it is that you're doing Uh is substantiated or unsubstantiated for that matter so like i want to like foundationally kind of set the yep. stage for critiquing you. the email, with that said. Yep. So, let's just dive in, okay? So, once we get past the salutation, <laughs> it's people, a very deep people... pool,
0: Brian. Bring yeah. a scuba, bring <laughs> a scuba gear. It's a deep pool. Go ahead. Yeah, this, <laughs> this, just just take, this take a
2: completely. And I suggest dunking your head completely, and then not doing that again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally so, immersed.
1: When you when people often ask me like the most trivial of things, like what salutation works best? Hi, hey, hello, like doesn't matter. Like yeah. be yourself, be sincere, be organic, like just, whatever you would say, just say that, right? Yeah. Um, I hope all is well, period, and then spacing down to another paragraph is a complete waste of space on your page and time. Time for the writer, time for the reader. Particularly during COVID and the pandemic, people have this propensity to start their email with something that they feel is um, empathy for the recipient's situation and, you know, identifying that we're in a difficult time or that the pandemic is going on or whatever it might be, you know most of the time your recipient is thinking about is thinking what's in it for me, the, with the, there it's thinking about their with them. Yep. And they're thinking about how long is this going to take me? Right. It's, it's a lot of the things that uh, Julian um, has taught for many, many years around how people receive an elevator pitch, same way they receive an email, right? Yep. The difference between the elevator pitch and the email is that, you have a captive audience with an email and with that person feeling captive, if you will, is that they have a larger um, they have a, a a a bigger and better opportunity to just delete you without fear or concern for an emotional reaction.
0: Right. Like they don't when have to worry about being rude is what
1: you're saying, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Right? Because you are you're not there, right? You're trying to create a dialogue with somebody virtually and by doing so, you are trying to open a, 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 a channel that is driven by their curiosity and their interest, right? So basically what we've already talked about where if you dangle the carrot, you use concise um, and deliberate language, they'll ask themselves a question, sometimes out loud, sometimes in their own head as they're reading the email, but the desired outcome and the more likely outcome is that they respond, right? Yep so next thing is i'm i'm reaching out because i recently looked into your company name good for you i, I mean i don't know how else to respond to that first uh-huh. complex sentence because i haven't even finished the sentence yet but when you say i'm reaching out the cause right i'm reaching out um i'm writing you this email um i i, 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 I gave you a call earlier today, was unable to reach you. And so I went on your LinkedIn, I saw that you have a beautiful background in your LinkedIn photo and was curious (laughs) to whether or not, and like, it's just arbitrary rambling, right? Right. And even though in this case, it's not that egregious, it's like six or seven words, but it's six or seven useless words, right? And if you're able to get the same outcome with a simple sentence that doesn't have a conjunction and, or multiple conjunctions for that matter in this particular case, um, your opening sentence is four or five words inevitably, right? Yep. So that's that's my diatribe on sentence number one, but let's yeah. keep going. Okay. Um, so the next thing is, is this person's, this company's value proposition, right? right? Here's what we do, right? So first it's, the first sentence is, I'm reaching out because I looked into you And I feel like we can work together. Here's something about me and my company. So now I'm getting into a full first paragraph, right? That is two sentences that lasts roughly on my screen, about five lines of text. Yep. And at this point, I have not identified the fact that I solve problems. Here are the types of problems that I solve. I'm not sure if you are experiencing any problems that are similar to these. Here are the types of people, right, that I've solved problems for before. And I'm being a little hyperbolic here. I wouldn't do all of that within the first functional sentence. But like, it has to be calibrated and curated towards the audience that you have with something that is Specific to their to their experience. Yeah, does that make sense?
0: It makes sense, and I'll pile on on that and say if you're going to mention first of all other customers, have it be other customers that have some name recognition. I currently work with you know Doctor Who, Bubba Seuss, and blah 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 three companies that I've never heard of. I'm like, what what does that even mean? And then the other piece that really ticks me off about this, and when I say ticks me off, it's that's twofold. That's as a sales professional, but also when I'm a prospect and people approach me, and this is when I've looked into your company name, and I feel there's an opportunity for us to work together. Another way of that, another way of phrasing that sentence, is to say I've already decided that this is a fit. You're gonna love this. You're not a Jedi, and I am not an Imperial stormtrooper. Stop trying to dictate to me what I'm going to think. This is the attempt that these are not the droids you are looking for. And it's just horrible in sales to do that because most people's contrarian nature is automatically going to cause them to take now the opposite position, versus, like you said, if I said, Look, I'm not sure if you're running into these issues that a lot of other companies similar to you are running into, then you're asking me to free will, associate, you know, freely associate myself in with a group that's facing a set of challenges. In this case, you're assuming before – you didn't even mention pain to your point. There's no pain mentioned in here whatsoever. But now on top of that, you lead off with Jedi mind-tricking me into telling me that there's an opportunity for us to work together. And that just makes my hackles go up when I read that, right? To pile on that piece. That just pisses me off. When people tell me you're going to love this, don't, don't tell me what I'm going to think. Just tell me what you're going to tell me and I will withhold my right to think for myself. Thank you very much, right? It's actually – it's offensive to be treated that way. It really is, right? It triggers like yeah. some pretty negative emotional stuff, right? Uh, and again, did the dating analogy, walking up to a girl at a bar going, you're just going to love the story I'm about to tell you. She's immediately thinking, no, I'm not. That's, that's I mean, immediately is what she's thinking, right? Because in her mind, they're going Admiral Ackbar, right? It's a trap. I can't go down the path that you're telling me because it's a trap. That's where their brain is going. Um, that was a lot of Star Wars references for one editing comment. But um, I, I, I just – I can't stand that Jedi mind trick of you're going to love this. It doesn't work when my 13-year-old tries to pull it on me. It's not going to work as another adult whose prospect of me tries to pull
1: it on me. Right? It's just – it's yeah. terrible. And to your point, Julian, is that like they're jaded, your audience, whoever it is, it doesn't matter what, what segment you're selling to yes. or what your product is, is that they've been conditioned to shut down as soon as they identify this email yep. as being an, a, a cold email yep. from a salesperson that's trying to just set an appointment, right? Yep. And even, even under the right circumstances where you write a really, really uh like intentional and quality email you still run into that personality of i've heard it before i don't need to hear it again yep. delete yep right but put so, the odds on like, your
0: side at the very least yeah use the math yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yep and, and they
2: didn't even throw the potential hail mary at the end of saying what i did for these they could have salvaged yeah, exactly this yeah with you know low percentage but they could have said Here's the solution I provided for uh, you know Funky Winker Beans One Shelf Jelly Bean Emporium, and it may happen to be exactly what you needed. They didn't even take that. Would have been a weak shot, but still a, a shot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're about a hundred words into this email, roughly a little bit less, but you know, again, going back to like statistics and a lot of research that I've done and a lot of classes that I've taken is yeah. that you're going to get the same results with a two thousand word email as you get with a twenty five word email, right? which is piss poor, right? A extremely low response rate, extremely low um, even click-through rate, right? And like somebody actually taking the opportunity to click through to your website. Yep. The sweet spot, like statistically, the sweet spot for the length of an email is between 50 and 125 words. Right now we're at 100 words in this email and there's absolutely nothing that's been said that has piqued my interest, that has identified my, my personal circumstances, my pain, my goals. Um, there's it is very blatant that this is a boilerplate email that was fired off to five thousand prospects in a system. Yeah, right. But wait. Yep. Right. There's, there's more, more. <laughs> right but wait there's more wait, so
0: here's some more information about xyz company and the value we can offer right it's exactly right but wait there's more it's exactly right go ahead brian now
1: go i'm on. even with
2: all the words they have i'm adding words right i've added the word, <laughs> added the word useless before information
1: <laughs> <laughs> and in what what the listeners can't see is that there's actually some pretty terrible grammar errors here too in terms of punctuation in terms of capitalization like there's like they they capitalize quality of experience they capitalize quality and experience oh I they didn't catch so that. here is some yeah. information. Yeah. yeah right yeah. Yeah. here is some more information about my business um and what we can offer period and then that then there's another paragraph yeah when in reality like that, that to me that is a uh, a subtitle that you would put over a bulleted list, right, with a colon next to it. Yeah. Yep. So, like, is it colon just or those semicolon? Things, by the
0: way, Brian. There's an ongoing debate five. about that.
1: If a- you ever put a semicolon yeah. in a paragraph, you just need Not to a- delete it and figure out something else. <laughs> <laughs> so Go back. You're, to you're probably devil, using it wrong.
0: Start using smoke signals again. Got it. Okay. Colon. Right. Never semicolon.
1: Okay. Got it. All right. Yep. And this next paragraph is purely show up and throw up it's selling 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 for an entire paragraph right yeah. no 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 more no less right yeah. and it's that and then it gets into even more selling in in the subsequent sentence that's spaced down into a separate paragraph yeah. there's parentheses that are using to kind of contextualize the sentence with a period inside the parentheses not outside the parentheses <laughs> spacing issues all of these crazy things right uh, and then it gets into and this is another thing that the listeners can't see is that where Steve read us through three bullets of highlights yeah. and four bullets of benefits. Yeah, the entire section is bolded. Yeah. So bold is meant for emphasis. It's meant as a highlighting technique, and right. you can use things like italics, like bold. You can even literally highlight a few words with like a yellow background to really make it pop on a page. Yeah. But the key thing that I just said there is a few words. <laughs> Not it loses <laughs> its impact in in any capacity right. if right. you bold like this is something my 75 year old dad does all of the emails that he sends to anyone are all bold the entire email is just bold that's the font that he uses yeah. and it is it is uh, lacks professionalism it lacks impact yeah. right and it it, it basically it, it it takes the value that's built into whatever it is that you're bolding and makes it uh trivial yeah right my, my dad's if someone's yelling, always yelling at you if someone's yeah, always yelling at you it then you have absolutely exactly no idea what the no, variation in exactly the right. tonality is my,
0: my dad's been yelling at me on whatsapp for the last two years because I think his caps button is stuck on his phone or I don't know <laughs> what the issue is but he's been yelling at me on whatsapp for two years but here, here's the, the I, I mean I think that you said something just brilliant there and just to use a little bit of a metaphor to sink in the concept with people if you are bolding more than one or two things you're trying to call attention to everything at what point you're calling attention to nothing so I have a, I have a client that I've been working with for probably about five or six years now and he's a CEO and our very first meeting when I was consulting with him I said walk me through what are like you know you and your executive team let's get into a room and let's talk about what the company top three priorities are okay and they had 14 of them you can't have 14 top priorities At that point, you don't have priorities. You have a series of things that are going on. The word priority goes away on anything that's more than one or two, maybe three things, right? So – and this is the same thing. You can't have that much highlighting. And then there's one piece in there when he goes, our mobile SDK is quite possibly the most efficient mobile video solution in the market. Quite possibly. Interesting hypothetical, right? Two to four times better performance on mobile than offered by competitors. Under what measurement? by whose quality indicator, and if that's true, then it's not quite possibly the most efficient video. It is the most efficient video processing. If it's two to four times more efficient than anybody else that's out there, right? So there's even contradiction Within his own statements, here that makes it hard. And God, I hope this person is somebody who follows me on LinkedIn and watches and hears this podcast. <laughs> Good. <laughs> just, just, you will know, by the way, if you're this person's boss, you will know which person it is when it's the person that comes in and buries their head in the ground beneath their desk for a full day after this podcast is released, right? So, um, you know,
1: one, one of the sad things, Julian, is that um, it's likely that this person's boss um, and their the, the entire of the team is leveraging some variation of this email um, as part of their, you know, outreach sales loft, Yesware experience, right? That this has been available to a much larger group of people and they're all using it, which is the scarier thing. And one of the things that when I was brought into Groupon, you know, more than a decade ago now, uh, I was brought in for that reason is that there were templates that existed within, I think the tool we were using at the time was Yesware that were, you know, 450 to 650 words that were all written just in these complex sentences that were like, just throwing every single thing at the wall to see what would stick. What would stick? Yeah, that was the whole thing. Yep. Yep.
2: And like when you have 14 priorities or you have that email, what you have also, what I immediately think of is you have a committee making decisions and you have a group of higher ups that there is absolutely no way to please all of them right and so there's no way you know and that extends down to that i mean that doesn't work for a pee wee football team let alone for a a fortune 500 company right and how do you please that how do you know if you're doing a great job and you don't and that's i mean so i i'm starting to feel for this uh email writer a little bit there They, they may be trying to please three or four people all at once and just just hope somebody please find something in here that you
1: want to buy. Right. Yeah. I mean, Julian mentioned this earlier, but it's like, you know, the the kind of the nuance of modern sales is account based marketing should drive your account based sales. And the, the the ABM and ABS, it, it's A, the AB is what matters. Right. It's account based is having the necessary intelligence, doing the necessary due diligence and partnering cross-functionally with people that can provide you with guidance, right. And expertise on how to speak intelligently to a particular audience. And that's why the, you know, as much as, you know, sales and marketing sometimes are at odds, you know, the best organizations, the best revenue organizations that they are walking in lockstep on developing resources, assets, copy imagery, that is going to resonate with a very particular target audience, right? Like that's really the sweet spot of, of demand generation, right? Using those two forces of nature to work towards, right? Getting that first down, getting across the the 50 yard line, getting towards, you know, your red zone and and scoring the goal, because it's not, just the quarterback doing that it's not just one great receiver or running back it's a team effort right and people that believe that sales is like uh, a, a one-man sport and not a team sport uh, are, are, are probably going to see themselves slowly fade into oblivion
0: yeah yeah um 231 maybe not words. So slowly. Yeah, yeah maybe not so slowly. 231 words is this entire uh prospecting attempt and it fails in its very basic mission which is to cause a question in the prospect's mind that they want Correct. to be answered aside from the question of who are you and what the hell are you talking about which is like basically what the only question i had when i read this is what what are you even i mean again i have no idea what problem you're solving is this you know and and, mm-hmm. and so again i mean Targeting this to the right person, I guess it's possible that there is a couple of executives within a company that would look at this and says, this answers exactly all the questions that I would want to get answered. But then why do they need to reach out to you? They've already got all that information, right? You haven't uh, tried to attempt to identify a problem and pique their interest, right? Or you used a better phrasing, Brian, I forget what she is, but to to create that interest of saying, How can you do that? You're claiming you might be able to help me. How can you do that? And that gives them the reason to set up the meeting. You are not going to typically sell product over a prospect email. You're going to sell the meeting, the conversation, the appointment, whatever you want to call it. You're going to sell the engagement and you're going to do that by piquing their interest and getting them to have a question that they want answered. And this utterly fails at doing that, right? And then violates yeah. another couple of tenants at the end, which we'll get to in a second.
1: Yeah. And it, I'll say one more thing then we can get through the remainder of the email and then jump to the next uh, communication yep. is yep. that while I very much agree in the, uh, in, in the premise of you sell the appointment, not the product or service or offering when it comes to that kind of first touch, that first exchange elevator pitch or email. Yep. But I would say moreover in terms of like that, that you know, call it academia um, that that drives this is that those first touches are about identity and identification. You know, I had to write my thesis at the end of my master's program on a, on a a rhetorician, his name is Kenneth Burke, and his entire academic career, every publication, not every publication, but a majority of his work was done around identity, right? And the, we as humans have a propensity to be tribal, right? We want to talk to, work with, be around, interact with people that are like-minded, right? For better or worse. And Immediately when you are approached by somebody in any capacity, personal or professional, with somebody that has a conflicting ideology that comes from a different background that doesn't talk the way that you talk, Mm. right? There is a subconscious, in most cases, sometimes conscious, decision that I'm not like this person, I do not wanna be around this person, I do not wanna interact with this person, right? Mm. If someone, if you have a Southern drawl and someone walks up to you with a Southern drawl, you immediately have something to talk about. If Julian's wearing his Bears jersey, I can we're immediately say I'm from Chicago. Are you from Chicago? Right. Yeah. We, could, we can we can have that connection coming out. Yep. yep. Exactly. And so, like that first touch, elevator pitch or email is about creating identity. And if you are going in with this boilerplate approach and trying to communicate at a, like a, 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 a an extremely holistic level the things and all of the things that your company does, that person shuts down immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Immediately so that's uh i think the identity and uh, the ability to identify with your audience and speak their language i don't know about you Julian but when i first read this this email i saw sdk i had to google it
0: yeah well Thank i'm you. assuming i'm assuming if you're targeting at the right person that they would know what an sdk is that doesn't mean that you need to tell me that you're currently powering over 500 million of those installs globally today. And by the way, if I'm a small startup company in Indianapolis, what do I care what you're doing globally? That's irrelevant exactly. to me, right? This exactly. is you talking exactly. – this is this is mental masturbation on my email, right? This is Ooh. you talking about uh, you know things that matter to you but they're not important to me at all, right? It's like does, does anybody else need to be in the room yeah. for you to have this conversation with yourself? Enjoy, right? I mean that's, that's what's going on in that, and that's why I think it's so – and you guys can tell I'm a little pissed, even, <laughs> you know, having had this for a couple weeks, I'm like a little pissed. And then they really pissed me off when they go, hope to hear from you soon. And please check out our website with a link. Oh, so you're giving yeah. me homework now. Like there's yep. any information that you didn't share in the last 231 words that I might need to go dig down further on without any context of how we can help me. So now you're yeah. adding something to my to-do list and I don't know you. How dare you? How dare you add something to my to-do list and I don't know you? And then they do it again. Feel free to set up a 30-minute call with my calendar link. Like, are you kidding me?
2: That's the actual call to action, Julian. No, that's not a call to action. Feel free to fill that 30 minutes that they know you have available.
0: Exactly. First of all, researching your website and then – so what the hell do I need you for? If I have come to just – at that point, could you have just emailed me your website link and say, here, do some research on how we can help us and then go ahead and set up an appointment on my calendar link? Like, are you kidding me? Like I'm fine. Again, there's some salespeople on the on, on the on the that are listening to this are going to go. Oh, I use I use the calendar thing and I like it. Great, great. When somebody says, About yeah, it sounds interesting. When can we meet? If you want to use technology to more efficiently set an appointment by saying here's my calendar link, great. But how dare you put that in an initial prospecting email and add something to my to do list and I don't know you? How dare you? add something to my to-do list, and I don't know you. I found
2: the culprit, Julian. This guy wrote it right here.
1: (laughs) And, you know, emails actually, uh, when I mentioned earlier that the purpose of an email is to be the kickoff to a dialogue. And people don't think about the fact that when you ask a question in an email, there is uh, a, a, a subconscious answer that happens in the person's head, right? It's uh, yep. it's not rhetorical. You're not asking a rhetorical question. You're asking a question that you want an answer to. Yep. And even if the person doesn't reply, if you ask a poignant question, right, that's relevant and impactful, they're going to think to themselves, I have an answer to that. And another statistic for you, right, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but that emails that contain Questions. If actually emails that contain one to three questions in in, in the body of the text are fifty percent likelier to get a reply, right? Because they're reading it as a someone that's inquisitive and curious, right, and potentially asking a question that could inform the future of the relationship. Yeah. And B is that the question is a good question that piques their interest about both a, either a goal or a pain, right? That person is more likely to want to learn more about why you asked that question.
0: I did not know about the one to three questions, but that makes perfect sense in the context that you put it
1: in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the average person deletes around 45% of emails. And that deletion of 45% of emails, think about the average decision maker receiving anywhere between 125 and 150 emails. And Deleting around 50% of them is call it 50 emails a day that they're deleting. It takes them less than five minutes to do so. So they're not like reading it thoroughly and then deleting it. They're looking at it at a high level and deciding, is this worth my time? Do I want to read this? And the principle that I taught for so many years that seems to resonate with most people, it's thing that the thing that people remember about me for better or worse (laughs) is that there's a concept called F shape formatting. Now you take an email and the way that we've been conditioned uh, by English teachers for any teacher for that matter, for the better part of our lives is to write in paragraph form, right? To write an intro, a body and a conclusion, to write complex sentences. When the way that uh, the average adult consumes information is actually in the shape of an F. So It's very reminiscent of an elevator pitch. You have your your salutation. You have a short, concise, uh, simple sentence that is the intro. And then you have a value proposition. Right. It's that one sentence that represents who, who you are, why you're reaching out and what your company has to offer. And then you substantiate that with three bullets. Three bullets of information that is kind of statistically proven, rather than saying we are. Uh, yeah, we're what does this person say? Yeah,
0: we're the best. Yeah, we're, we're the best, best for whatever reason. It's quite possibly um, the most efficient saying, mobile video.
1: So quite possibly, yes. Quite I possibly. love that phrasing. Yes. Quite possibly. Quite saying, according to, ac- according to G two Crowd, which is the authority in uh, measuring the success of a business to business software, software, we are the number one X Y Z in the space. Right and a link to the G2 crowd uh, page completely changes the dynamic of that sentence, right? Right. Or that bullet. Three bullets, ideally, you're keeping those bullets to a single line, looking at it at an average laptop screen. And then at the bottom, you have your call to action with a sense of urgency that puts the onus on you as the writer, not the reader, to take the next steps, right?
0: So yeah, I want to highlight that because that's so key. Putting a link to the G2 crowd thing or whatever it is, and But the onus is on them to go click it. You don't ask them to do it because that's giving them homework, right, in this case. Right. So there's a big difference. I'm fine with putting links in there, right? If you want more information or even putting a link down at the bottom or a link to the source, that's great. But you're not saying, click here and go do this. Let me go ahead and commit some of your time today, Brian, on what you were planning on doing and move it over to my mm-hmm. agenda, right? Steve, I think you were going to yeah. say something.
2: Yeah, taking it back to questions. And I want I, – I wonder if, if – I'd like Brian to – clarify if he thinks it'll work in this context uh chris voss the the um negotiation expert mm-hmm. on he's yeah black swan group he's made a big splash lately there was a there was b i'd add a c uh, the, of what gets people to respond and that's the ability to correct you in terms of a negotiation if they can correct you uh, and i think we see this with uh with social media If you agree with somebody, you're going to give it a quick like. If you disagree, what you just signed up for my lecture series, my dissertation. (laughs) So I wonder, is that even just giving a little bit of an area where that somebody could say, you know, you're right about this, but allow me to correct you in this area? Or is that just taken at a level too deep?
1: I mean, I don't think it it takes it too deep. I think that it's an interesting perspective uh, and to say things that are maybe potentially volatile or that are, uh, you know, that have a polarizing response. I think that that's a, an opportunity. It's risky, though. Yeah. It's you don't know. You don't know the personality of the person that you're reaching out to. Um, hopefully, you know something about them after looking into Zoom info, after looking on LinkedIn sales navigator. Um, doing your, just like the breath of due diligence. But, you know, I I don't know that I would do it at the outset of a conversation. I think it's something that is definitely worthwhile trying when you get later into your cadence um, or you've developed enough of a rapport through different modalities of reaching out, LinkedIn, email, phone calls, talking to gatekeepers and getting those gatekeepers to give you like the intelligence around the type of personality that you're dealing with, right? Those uh, proof points will help you curate how you're going to approach future emails. But yeah, I, I think that it's a, a, a unique opportunity um, to, to try out. Yeah,
0: you can minimize the risk on that too, um, Steve, in my opinion, if yeah. you're backed by case studies or science. So one of the things yeah. that I like is the big hairy audacious statement on the front end that makes the yeah. prospect look and go, really? Prove it. How can now nah, I don't believe you prove it? Because some of them will call you back and go, dude, you said this, And I, I, but it has to be realistic enough that they suspect that it's true, but have doubts because that's what gets them to immediately like sort of ping you back. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: No. And I, I, I overstated my example. I wouldn't try to agitate somebody in a, in a hello or a cold call. I, it would be more an example of from a story you told earlier, I'd say, Hey, I really love the fact, you know, I worked at Groupon and, and I love the fact that uh, Julian played that joke on you when, during the interview and then just that little bit of a, well, hey, yeah, I did that too. But it was actually Darren who did that. More something like that. Oh, I not, see. Yeah, Something that pro- I, I just –
0: That, that just actually worked really well obviously. just then, Steve, because I didn't know where you were going. I was like, I didn't play the yeah. joke on him. Darren did. I was actually yeah. about to correct yeah. you exactly in the way that you just did me to. So, yeah. That, that's, if you
2: can yeah. use it to show that I've done that research.
0: You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, and what, what also something that it comes from. I think you mentioned uh, that you were a journalist previously, and that um, the way things are written, and particularly modern journalism, right? So if we get away from your traditional newspaper, or your traditional magazine, and we think of multimedia, is that the most? I think um, the most prominent example is is Buzzfeed. Buzzfeed is one of these sites that leverages this like clickbait of you know here's a quick statement here's a very quick statement top 10 lists right the top 10 ways by which you can do this or the top 10 restaurants in this area or whatever it might be right numbers right particularly when you say top 10 this and top 10 that you know um i think david letterman was probably the first one to really take advantage of this um back in the day but when Buzzfeed uses top ten lists. They use a lot of um, scrolling through a uh, through images. Yeah. They use a lot of links, and we've been conditioned, again as consumers, like it or hate it, to want things to be in a package. They want things to be in a very concise uh, delivery, so that you can look at it at a high level and be like, "Do I do or not have time for this? Is this or is this not relevant yeah. for me?" Yep. And the more you share the less likely you are to get them to move to the next step or to explore even further. Right. And going back to the journalism example, another thing is that, you know, as much as you want to demonstrate your intelligence and your capability and your sophistication in an email, right. We don't want to be challenged with our intelligence right like you don't want to use a word in an email and a conversation and I struggle with this um given my academic background uh, in speaking in a way that people are going to be like oh I don't actually know what you mean there emails that are written at a I think it was if I remember correctly it's that messages written at a third grade reading level I think it's third grade um, are th- 30 to 40% more likely to get a reply than those that are written at a college reading level,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? Yeah. And I think that's oh, yeah. the same sentiment when you're writing uh, a, a, an article for public consumption. Don't assume that people are going to be able to understand your level of sophistication, your jargon, right? Yep. The things that you have hold unique to your business and your model, right? Keep it simple.
0: It feels good to us. And and I think it's especially challenging. The three of us are lovers of language on this call, right? So I know the three of us like enjoy the English language, enjoy vocabulary. You know, Steve is a writer. Brian, I know you're a writer. I, I spend much as a shock as it may be to some of the people who know me. I spend quite a bit of time focused on writing And 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 as much as it feels good when we're like, oh, yeah, that's a perfect – use of that yeah. word and that kind of stuff it doesn't feel good to the person on the receiving end of that who's not sure what that word means or who needs yeah. to look it up and it can create some defense the most extreme case of this I've said I've seen is, I once got into HR trouble. Stop giggling, you two. I know it's it's. Uh, yeah. I once got into HR trouble because I used the word pedantic in an email. I referred to a, one of the company projects as pedantic towards our customers, and literally yeah. one of the ladies in HR came down on me and filed a complaint. And it was over That's the. When you got in trouble right there where she came down. Anyway, yeah, well, yeah, ex- no, but pedantic was <laughs> good Lord, Steve. Pedantic was misconstrued by her to be somehow related to pedophilia because it started with PED, right? And so it started with HR contacting me and me saying, I'm sorry, I'm going back over my email and looking at this email and going, what are they talking about? And then when I figured it out. Sending the definition of that word back to HR, which then followed with a corporate directive memo saying don't use overcomplicated words in emails. I was, And at the time I was like, how is it my fault that she's an idiot and doesn't have good enough vocabulary? But guess what? It creates misunderstandings. And in a sales outreach effort, the last thing you want to do is create misunderstandings, right? That's definitely not where you want to go. You want to create that sense of an easy commonality like what you're talking about, Brian, right? You can't do it with the fact that I'm wearing a Bears jersey and you're also a Bears fan because you're communicating through email or LinkedIn. So you've got to do it through language and you don't do yourself any favors no matter how good it feels to put some words that you know that sound good. And there's, there's actually – more science to it than that right but there are certain words in the dictionary that i even hesitate to say on a podcast like this because people would misconstrue what they mean because 90 percent of people don't use them in commonality and don't know what they actually mean so you're you get yourself and the top 10 thing brian that you referred to just to put a a nail in that i just love that so much because what is, is a confirmation of the instinct of the mitigation of risk so when you tell me it's the top 10 it's the top six points and i read the first point it's short in my mind, I go, I now have a time-specific expectation of what it will take me to read the other five points, and I'm much more likely to read the other five points than if it's in a long, over-elaborate you know, explanation. uh uh, how much time is this going to take me right that that is the number one question prospects ask themselves whenever we interact with them how long is this going to take the fear of loss of time is the dominant fear in those situations and if we don't address that you know by giving them a mitigation of risk and that's what that secret we've been conditioned because we've been conditioned to say to ourselves i don't want to waste time how long is this going to take all right it's a top 10 how long can it take me to read through the top 10 things right and it gives us a, a a a definition of our universe in that sense to be able to go, okay, I know what kind of time risk I'm taking and jumping into this or reading this or clicking through on this. Right.
1: So, right. Yeah. I I think numbers do a lot for you in email and the email example that we're actually looking at, there's like seven different references to numbers. Some of the numbers are like in the hundreds of millions and billions Yeah. and you start to lose people, right? Like the, the that volume like doesn't mean anything because it means too much if that's that sounds like very existential in nature but like don't want to use numbers that are unfathomable and that don't really mean anything to your audience in the same vein as much as I use like top 10 lists as the example like when you're writing bullets I've seen so many emails where people will bullet out points that they want to make and there will be seven bullets and each bullet will through be three or four lines of content. Oh content. And at that yeah. point you've just written seven paragraphs, not seven bullets. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Be, be conscious of the volume of bullets that you're using. Usually three is the sweet spot, up to five is is worst case. Yep. And it helps you formulate a thought in a much more deliberate and concise way. Right. Yeah. So like there's there's the ABCs of selling, right? Every salesperson that has ever worked in sales knows that's always be closing, right? Like that's the ideology that we subscribe to being in sales because the outcome that we're looking for is the close appeal, right? mm-hmm. to close a deal, right? Find a fit. In writing, in business writing, in professional writing, there is an ABC as well. It's accuracy, brevity, and clarity. And when you think about writing with accuracy, brevity, and clarity, the brevity part, we've kind of beaten to death already, like yeah. just be short, be direct, and be to the point.
0: We've actually, accuracy, not missed, we've not embraced brevity in explaining the concept of brevity. Yeah, go ahead.
1: <laughs> it's a paradox, right? Yep. So the accuracy part is, we touched on it a little bit, is writing an email that you ensure that you can back up, right, that you can confidently say that I can speak intelligently, and it's from a defensible position, uh, so that the future of the conversation, whether it be with me or with one of my colleagues, my 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 the people that replace me with my funnel, like down the road, years from now, if if I'm not able to convert this, someone needs to. And if I put something in an email that puts us in a precarious position, it's, it's, you're never going to make it, make it happen. Yep. So we talk about accuracy, brevity, and then there's the clarity part about using very simplistic language. And it's not intended for. And some people listening to this podcast might think this is like we're not, it's not a shot at your intelligence as the writer or a shot at the intelligence of the reader, right? Like there is no um, defamation here. We're merely saying that people want to communicate typically at a rather primitive level, right? Like that's just the natural mindset that we have. And if you over-engineer your language, over-engineer the concepts that you're trying to present, inevitably people like to disconnect, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I look at it as I look at it as equivalent to if you're selling a house, you don't paint it very pronounced uh, colors, you don't make very drastic artistic choices. You play for the common denominator. You, you're not you're yeah. not trying to get people to walk in and love the color. You're trying to get people to walk in and not hate the color, so it distracts them from seeing the house, right? So you go with something that's kind of you know plain Jane and easy, and that everybody can relate to, and then they'll make their own artistic choices from from that point forward
2: exactly yeah, uh, there's a couple of great points that you brought up that i wanted to to get to first of all if you do a good job of your value proposition and your elevator pitch i love i love f-shaped communication i love that it's, that's that's going to be one of my takeaways from this so bang bang you do a great job of that i'm going to forward this to my general manager i'm going to forward this to my finance person you're now getting extra touches you have you've saved the opposite of what this person did uh-huh. Giving Julian a, a part-time job just to figure out what's going on here. Yep. You've now done part of my job for me. I am presenting a solution to a problem that you have encapsulated and expressed for me. Yep. And there's an old saying that that I was taught early in journalism, and I'm glad you used all the words. It's you you used one, three, and five. That's what they say. There's four numbers in the human mind. One, three, five, and a lot. Where you just, after you get to a certain point, I mean, we understand it's 10, but after a certain point, you just, you just lost.
0: It's just more. Yeah, it's more. Yep. Yeah, I More think than I'll ever correct. have, so I'm not going to try to imagine it. Well, you know, we, both of you have, have either co-trained or worked with me on the elevator pitch, uh, you know, the 30 second commercial, the, the pitch script, whatever you want to call it. And I always talk when we get to the pain statement, you know, I always tell people aim for one to three pains. One is not enough. But if you start to go more than three common pains, people get lost, right? So I call it playing Battleship at at bedtime uh, rate, right? So you know, back when he was, you know, eight, nine years old, when when my boy Caleb wanted to like play Battleship, and I would look, and we've only got 20 minutes before bedtime, we would play 3x Battleship, which is you call three shots, right? B4, C1 d9 and so the game speeds up because you get three shots every single time and you get kind of play uh you know you play battleship that way but you can't also play you know 10 shot battleship because it's just it becomes impossible to even remember so yeah i think that one three five and a lot is a good way to summarize that concept i'm taking notes on some of this stuff which you know listeners i will put a highlight of some of these notes and some of these numbers that brian shared inside the show notes because i think some of these are you know the 45 percent deletion rate um the one to three questions you know gets a 3x more likely to reply on the emails and the 50 to 125 words being the ideal kind of uh you know and for those of you that are freaking out go, go drop your email script into word and there's a there's an actual word counter in it right you don't have to don't sit there with a pencil on your screen for those uh you know I have to say this guys otherwise tim <laughs> will be putting pencil marks on his screen as he's trying to count the words on the on the uh on on his on his prospecting emails um okay Let's move on to this LinkedIn outreach uh-huh. that I got. All right. Right. Yeah. So Perfect. Okay.
2: You want me to read it or you want to read
0: it? So I'm going to read this one, Steve. And, yeah. and the reason I'm going to read it is because it was sent directly to me, right? So I'm looking at it. The first one, the first outreach was 52 words. This person is actually following the brevity a little bit. So to set this up, this person reached out and asked to link in with me on LinkedIn. And I accepted for two reasons. I accepted because we knew four people in common. And I accepted because he put a note and the note said, hey, Julian, looking at your background, always looking to expand my network. I thought it would be good to connect. And I looked at him and he had a title that fit the general scope of people that would potentially be you know, useful to be connected with on LinkedIn for me. So I accepted the connection. Right. And then the bait and switch started. Right. Which is this the classic mistake. If, if you do that, fine. Link in with people. Not a problem. If I'm prospecting you on LinkedIn, I don't ask to connect first. I send you a prospecting message inside the messaging tool, and then I can mention in there or afterwards, let's stay LinkedIn, even if you're let's, – let's let's connect on LinkedIn for future communications. But if you're offering to be in my network, that doesn't mean that you immediately prospect me. That's a bait and switch. So there's already a bad taste in my mouth from my perspective. All right? So it says, thanks for connecting, Julian. I'm working with similar professionals, and we're getting a lot of traction with our solution. So I wanted to touch base and see if you'd be interested as well. Check us out at website and feel free to book a consultation. We're offering all digital marketing solutions. So again here, right, Brian, no pain. It doesn't speak to a digital marketing solutions. So literally, that could mean a myriad of things, right? It doesn't put any kind of specific kind of uh, thing. And again, he's giving me homework right? I should check out his website and then I should feel free to book a consultation. Well, thank you for not charging me for booking a consultation with you. That I already, you know, appreciate. But what are your thoughts when you see this one uh, as well, Brian?
1: You know, social social selling is, is very different than selling via email, selling via phone, selling in person. Social selling is nuanced in that, like, people are there for a variety of reasons on that platform, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever. Um, LinkedIn being the most professional platform, right? It's a professional networking platform. Um, But the thing that you don't wanna do is the bait and switch. The thing that is going to brand you immediately as someone that is not reliable or trustworthy um, and as you know, anybody that listens to Julian's podcast or has been in his trainings and, um, is familiar with Sandler, if you don't have the trust of your prospect, you do not have a prospect. So immediately that bait and switch is, is a off. It doesn't matter what verbiage you use in your next series of communications, right? So that's one. The second thing is that social selling should be part and parcel of a, grander cadence that uses multiple modalities, including the phone, including email, including uh, whatever it is that you have access to as a resource to get a hold of that particular prospect. But if you're leveraging, if you're just setting yourself up to just send periodic social touches without attempting other modalities, then you're doing yourself a disservice, right? It's just a waste of time. I agree. It's white noise. Yep. I totally agree. And then the, the approach here is, is as, as, as poorly executed as the, the email that we just went through, right? Like, I'm working with similar professionals, okay? What do you mean by that? We're getting a lot of traction. What does that mean? So I wanted to touch base. Why are you telling me that you're touching base? Don't tell me what you're gonna tell me. Just tell me. <laughs> don't tell me that you're touching base. Just get yeah. get the point out, right? During the process of um, touching base. Would be that, interested? Yeah. I, I don't know if I would be interested. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yep. Check us out at fill in the blank with the name, the, the URL, right? So they paste it in their URL here. And you go ahead and book a consultation. Yeah. Right. So the call to action here has no sense of urgency. It has no personalization right? And it has no value. So the last sentence is their pretty pitiful attempt at a value proposition. We are offering all digital marketing solutions, which is, I I think I maybe am doing it um, a little bit of a disservice by calling it um, pitiful only because it's probably worse than that by saying <laughs> just we offer all digital marketing solutions. There, there's, there's absolutely no differentiating characteristic there to right. pique my interest and want me to kind of jump in and dive deeper. So that's at like kind of a surface level, my reaction to the th- four sentences yeah. that were, that were put in here and, and we I can will, get super deep here. Too I because, will tell uh,
0: you in the, my yeah. website, Brian, through my website, I get about 30 or 40 of these a week. So this person took the time to connect with me on LinkedIn and essentially sent me the same message that the bots are sending to my info at email that's listed on my website, right? That's how much like care they took in terms of actually getting this message. So, of course, you guys can guess, what do you think I did with this message on LinkedIn?
1: Delete. Uh, Yeah. Ignore, delete. yeah,
0: Yeah. I didn't respond, right? I just didn't respond. Um, Wow, Brian, your voice just got very deep. That was nice. Um, (laughs) You switched mics. Um, So I didn't respond. So after I didn't respond, then three days later comes, hi, Julian, just following up on my last message regarding a couple of ideas that I'd be interested in discussing with you, your agenda, not my agenda, right? I don't care about what you would like to do, right? Did you get a chance to read through it yet? You're now guilting me. For not doing something that you added to my to-do list and I don't know you and the reason I didn't go get a master's is because I hate homework. Stop giving me homework when you don't know me. That is really annoying, right? We have unbeatable – so – Hi, Julian, just following up on my last message regarding a couple of ideas that I'd be interested in discussing with you. Did you get a chance to read through it yet? Guilt. We have some unbeatable deals on our digital marketing products until the end of this week. Looking forward to hearing from you. So you've already dropped price, and we haven't even had a conversation about the value that you bring yet. Now you're basically saying let's trade time for value, and if you sign up this week, my worthless product will cost you a little less than what it would cost you next week if you reach out to me. For the love of all that is holy and sacred in this world, if you are salespeople, please stop sending these kinds of messages to people. This, I mean I actually – because of this podcast and because I took the time to look at this and say this is a good example for us to discuss on the podcast, I actually replied to this guy and I was a little snooty. I read, I read you the response, Brian, I think the other day, right? So I was a little snooty to him. About like who are you to add like and where's the pain? I don't have any idea of what you're solving, what you're creating and, and blah blah blah. Steve, go ahead.
2: Here's that that's a, a theme I've picked up is that they are the email creates hundred percent more pain than it ever identifies correct they're supposed to be discovering pain they're causing pain yes and if you didn't have a podcast
0: where you could return some of that pain
2: (laughs) you would have just deleted it and never thought about it again
0: i would have more done i I probably would have done and i may still i probably would do more than delete in this case in a standard format as an not somebody who's a sales trainer and who wants to dissect this I probably not only would delete it, but then I would actually unconnect from you on LinkedIn because you've oh, identified yeah. yourself to be of no value. So now if there actually comes a time where you could provide value, you're back on the outside looking in instead of LinkedIn versus if you had ju- – what if the same person had said, hey, Julian, I work with a lot of people who own businesses your size and they run into some typical issues. Here's a quick article I think you might find interesting. I might actually have gone through and looked at that. Because they're like, well, okay, they've done a little research on businesses my size. Could be an accounting thing. I don't know. I probably would have at least clicked through out of curiosity to see what the article addressed, right? And then to Brian's point earlier, if it was top five things most small businesses owners struggle with growth, or top five things most I might have I might have read further into it, right? If it was something that was easy. So how complicated is it to have like a quick, you know, Blog post or something like that that you can offer me. Instead, you send me your website. Which, by the way, when I go look at this website, there's a ton of information. I don't even know where to start. He didn't even send me to a specific page within their website that addresses business issues. He just sent me to the home page where I can find out where their office is and what hours they're open and the the personal history of their CEO and founder. Like I care, right? So, right. The, 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 so not. I mean. I have an issue. I really just have an issue, and I, I'm, I'll am I'll, I'll vent it one more time and then I'll shut up because otherwise this is going to turn into therapy and I'm going to have to send you both checks at the end of this conversation. I really have an issue when you add something to my to-do list and you don't know me, and then I doubly have an issue when you then guilt me like a couple days or a couple weeks later about not doing something that you added to my to-do list and I don't know you. There are people that I love, that I'm married to, that I'm related to, that add stuff to my to-do list. I got a big enough to-do list as it is. If I don't know you, you don't get to add stuff to it, right? Not even in a subtle reverse manner like what this is. You just you just don't get to do that, and you're creating an immediate negative connotation in my brain, and I don't think that's unique to me. I think that most prospects react to it
1: that way. Yeah, and and for those of, for those of the listeners that don't know Julian, uh, like – he teaches giving homework as part of the sales process, but it's once you know each other, right? Yes. It's part and parcel of creating mutual accountability during a sales process. Correct. But if you're doing it to someone that you don't know, right, like that sets the relationship off on the wrong foot, right? Yes. It it actually is the antithesis of creating identity and identification um and being relatable. So like that, I want to call that out because he's talked a lot about like, don't give homework, but we actually preach and teach a lot about, you know, giving each other homework, creating accountability, part of the setting of the appointment and the next steps of the appointment is each of you having things to get done prior to the appointment. Yeah. Once we
0: set the appointment together, of course, I want to make sure that we're both prepared for the appointment and I'm going to set the agenda and be responsible and take the initiative and say, here's what you should bring to the appointment. Here's what I should bring to the appointment to make sure we have have an efficient appointment and not waste anybody's time but i don't i don't kick off the conversation by saying brian you i mean essentially what this outreach is is hey brian you don't know me i'd like you to sign you some reading and then i'd like you to go to my calendar link and set some time so that i can pitch you on something what the yeah. is that right i mean that's yeah. not sales
1: it's you're not even a marketing in this-
0: person if you're doing that like
1: yeah it's yeah. interesting that you bring this up uh as a uh, As an example, and this is like outside of the sales function, is that one of my pet peeves is when uh, uh, someone internally within the business that I work in um, will reach out to me and ask me for something or wanna consult with me on something or whatever. And they'll say, my calendar is up to date. Can you book something? And I'm like, wait, I I don't want this meeting. (laughs) You want this meeting. You're giving me the responsibility of booking the meeting with you to discuss something that you need from me. Yes. come on come on well like it, you booked like that that's 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 why you reached out so, so you, like it's not a sales thing but it is a relationship thing so yeah. which they're one in the same
0: it's of. it's literally i mean you're it's from a social nature right and you just imagine if i said hey guys uh do me a favor i, w- I want to have dinner next week i want to invite you guys over to my house for dinner okay brian figure out what we're going to eat steve figure out what the entertainment is you're both like, dude, you, you you called the dinner. Why are we doing all the work? You're <laughs> the one who wants to do the dinner, right? We owe our prospects an outstanding experience for no other reason than we are the ones who initiated the interaction. So it's on us to come with a plan. It's on us to come with an agenda. It's on us to come prepared. And yes, it might be on us to figure out a calendar time that works for them and then work backwards into that and not just assume that, you know, give them the assignment of going to schedule themselves.
2: Now, Brian if I don't work in your company, which I don't, or if I'm a listener to this podcast, which I am, and I wanna follow up with some of what you do. I mean, where do we find you? Are you available? Do you have some, do you have a presence out there?
1: Are, like re- really, like my, what is my my online presence? Where do you find me?
2: Or, no, wherever. I mean, what, just to throw it out there. I'd love to, I mean, you know, I. I, when this show is over, I'm going to ask if you uh, recommend reading Kenneth Burke or if that's an academic exercise, but I mean, people, there's a lot of concepts and and I think people are going to be very interested in what we've been talking about. So,
1: yeah, yeah, I would not recommend someone trying to pick up uh, a Kenneth Burke uh, publication. It is <laughs> dense, <laughs> extremely difficult to get through. So am I. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dense or
0: extremely um, difficult to get through? Which one? My
1: my current gig is um, I'm the head of revenue operations and enablement for um, an early stage startup based in San Francisco called Garton Wellbeing. And I do a lot of consulting. I work with Julian quite a bit on projects uh, to support the execution of um, delivering sales methodology trainings. Um, and, you know, I I, I have a really tight network of of folks that i work with on you know just best practices as it relates to executing the go-to-market strategy um because it's complex it's sophisticated it's uh it's interesting right it's not this like you know here's a stack of leads now go call them right like this isn't 1972 um we have a, a a revenue tech stack these days for a reason, which is like a nice little pivot um, to the last point I wanted to make around not only the email communications that we're seeing, but also the social posts, the social, uh, not posts, but like uh, direct messages is that I adore, and I can't emphasize enough how much I absolutely love sales engagement platforms like Outreach, like Sales Loft, um, and the breadth of solutions that are out there that help us be more effective and efficient in sales, right? take what we do best and extrapolate it across hundreds, if not thousands of, uh, people in our funnel, because it just, it, it, it emphasizes right. In a variety of ways. Now, the bigger challenge that we experience is that very much like a lot of great things in the world is that people are, are, are taking this amazing thing and using it as a a crutch. Is that they're utilizing this technology as a as as a way by which they have to do less work, Mm. not more work. And while it does create efficiencies, so that you don't have to do the same thing over and over again, the tool will do it for you. If you're not calibrating, if you're not customizing, if you're not creating that identity within those communications, and it's you know I'm I'm in enablement, so the word um being identified as an enabler um sometimes has a negative connotation, and these tools sometimes negatively enable you to do to have bad behaviors right because the three things that julian has brought up as examples i'd be willing to bet the house that they are all templates that were put into a a system that i click a button and it sends it out to 50 100 or Mm. 500 prospects simultaneously yeah right and not only is that is that just bad methodology, like it's it's bad process, but it is a, a pretty big ding on the brand identity of the business that I work for, right? Because you're just firing off a bad email to 500 people in your funnel. Those 500 people have bad first impressions, and those bad first impressions translate to you being on the, the spam list moving forward.
0: Yep. I I and yeah I, I I couldn't agree more I will say this if you want to reach Brian the 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 best way that I have found is I shoot him a LinkedIn message. I assign him a website to review and then include my my calendar link in there and ask him to set an appointment with me. that's that's really the best way to do it. <laughs> that's <what laughs> the best way to reach anybody, really. I mean, yeah. you know, just send that five thousand times and you're good, you know you're, Which, you're yeah. well, in
1: the real, the real answer to that question, Steve, is that um i I work very closely with Julian and if everyone if anyone wanted to reach out to me, i um you can email me at Brian at salesfix dot com.
0: Yep. cool. So awesome. Awesome. Well, this was uh, helpful Uh, for me. It was uh, cathartic to be able to purge my anger over these messages that were sent to me. So I appreciate you guys putting up with my with my therapy. I have found this entire podcast experience actually to be very therapeutic. So it's uh it's been it's been good. Uh Brian, well, great not work, great thoughts. But, what's but what's Steve?
2: You're having fun. It's not working as therapy, but I'm glad you're having fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um so uh Brian any other last thoughts? I mean I thought this was uh super actually you know what let me let me throw you my I always forget to do this and I remember to do it at the last second. Any question I should have asked you, Brian Brian, on this subject that I didn't ask you? Is there a question I should have asked that I did not ask while we're on this subject matter?
1: Um, I always love hearing that question because it always piques my interest (laughs) that there's there's always more to say, right? Like I've taught a session on business writing and sales communications for more than 10 years, and inevitably it creates a dialogue around the different forms and functions for written communication and the different different ways to optimize, right? One thing that we didn't talk about during any of this is the leading indicator that you have a good email, which is actually not quite true, is open rates, right? So how do you measure the success of your emails? Like open rates, click-through rates, and reply rates. Um, The real measure is your sales velocity and closing deals, right, because even if you're getting replies, doesn't necessarily mean that they're good replies, right? when we talk about subject lines um it could be another hour-long podcast around the length of the podcast i'm sorry the length of the subject line right. um, how many words in the subject line what words are going to drive open rates and what words are going to actually uh decrease your open rates like those are things that if you haven't researched that if you haven't invested time effort and energy into determining like what if are you using curiosity as a concept in your subject line or are you using utility because those are kind of a binary that always should drive what it is that you're putting into those things that are going to get people to say, I wonder what this is about. Right. Yeah. Cause you could have the best email ever written in the history of emails, but if they don't open your email, it doesn't matter. So you have to have a great subject line. That's going to get people to inquire further.
0: Yeah. You know, Brian, as a, as a, it, that just inspired an idea. Maybe you and I need to look at, at creating an online course on this subject matter. That uh, that people could purchase, you know, an online course, because I think this is a very topical thing. And um, to your point, I mean, I've done some trainings where we spend 30 or 40 minutes just discussing subject lines. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, and usually we talk about what to avoid versus we talk about like what it's it's here's what not to do. And that helps you define what will work. Right. Uh, For example, for me, the big no, no is checking in. It's like it, it, it's not an airline, it's not a hotel. You've got no business checking in with any of your pro- of your prospects, right? Um, and, and it just sets a lot of that stuff sets the wrong tone. But I think that'd be a great, maybe that's a great project for us to look into, figure out a way to to be able to create an online course on exactly this subject, right? Email communication or or, or written communication, written online communication in the terms of prospecting and what the best practices are, because I think there's probably a lot of value we could offer people in that in that area. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for the time. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate you taking time out and uh, I look forward to continuing to working with you on on some other projects and maybe at some point do another one of these episodes on the subject, on the email subjects or on other things uh, that I will try to stay less angry on those because I won't uh, be confronted by the the harassment of homework being assigned to me. So
1: well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure uh, catching up with both of you um, and I hope we get to do it again.
0: Sounds good. Take care guys. All right.
2: You've been listening to the Sales Fix podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's salesfix with two x's. We're on Twitter at salesfix, Facebook and LinkedIn. If you'd like help training your sales team, email us at info@salesfix.com.